Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And coming to you on the hump day edition of The Yard. It's actually pretty late on uh, Tuesday night. It has been a very eventful day for me as well as Mississippi State sports. Even though we're not playing a game today, a lot happened. We're going to get into some of that a little bit later want to thank the fine folks in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Had an unbelievable signing day experience at Stribwin's Pharmacy down uh, there on Beacon Street in Philadelphia. Had never been there, had never done a signing, had never known what to expect there. One of the biggest signings of the book tour in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, absolutely incredible. Cannot thank the Stribwin's enough. It was uh it's just a wonderful experience. I, I tell you, I can't wait for the next one. I will be in uh, Meridian today. Be leaving uh, pretty early Wednesday morning, headed to Meridian. And uh, I will be there from 11 to 1.30 at the uh, the Bulldog Shop. It's a brand-new Bulldog Shop. It's in the, part of the Mississippi State Ex- uh, Meridian Extension Campus there. 2214 Fifth Street, I believe it's correct. 2214 Fifth Street. You can find it on your uh, your GPS. But I'll be there today. And then taking a couple days off from the book tour. And then Saturday, 3 to 6 at the Barnes & Noble in Tupelo. So that's where we are. We had two great signings already this week. Two more coming up. Look forward to seeing you guys out there. Uh, Mississippi State will be back in action in basketball Thursday night. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. We want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company for helping make all of this possible. Bulldog Burger Company. Without a doubt, the best place to break bread in Stark Vegas and now Tupelo. Encourage you to get out, find your own favorites. I know many of you in Tupelo are kind of new to the Bulldog Burger experience. Let me tell you, the Hardline Boneyard listeners have already done the Bulldog Burger Challenge. 
You've eaten them all, found the ones that you like, that you're on favorites. I encourage you folks in Tupelo to do that. Go and get a different burger every time you go. If you just want a great restaurant quality hamburger, the Bulldog is without a doubt the way to go. No frills, just a great quality hamburger. But maybe you like to walk a little bit on the wild side. I encourage you to get the Mission, get the Pico de Gallo on the side so you can control the distribution of that. But I'm a mentology guy. Still on the Lauren train a little bit, but you'll find great options for you, for you and your family, the entire family. You can find the Kale State salad if you're a little bit healthy conscious uh, when it comes to your eating habits. Or you can get the Sweet Heat Chicken Sandwich. A lot of different options to choose from or something for everybody in the family. A great quality restaurant hamburger can be had there at Bulldog Burger Company. So go by, have that, find your own favorites and on University Street in Starkville and now on Gloucester and Tupelo. So our top story is that Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill has won the Connerly Trophy. Not a huge surprise, I guess, but it's still a nice relief and a nice honor as uh, Kylan wins the award. Second Bulldog in a row to win. Jeff Simmons won it last year. I believe five of the last seven winners, Mississippi State Bulldogs. So happy to have Kylan get that. I wanted to kind of look at some things, too. And, like, if you lead the SEC in rushing, chances are you're going to win <laughs> that trophy. Uh, so, you know, great night, you know, for Kylan. Uh, here's a quote from Kylan. It's, it, it's really special. Growing up as a kid, this is an award every Mississippi athlete should want to win. I'm honored and thankful. I know the other finalists are all great athletes. For me to win it is a compliment. And he's absolutely correct. And so here are the uh, you know, the, the most recent winners. Uh, before we get to that, uh, Hill had, without a doubt, the most votes, received 16,776 votes from fans winning the fan vote, which counted 10%. And then there was a, a panel of statewide sports media reps that voted uh, on the other items. And so he, he wins that. So Colin Hill in uh, 2019 is your winner. Jeff Simmons, I mentioned 2018. Dak won it back to back in 14 and 15. Gabe Jackson in 13. Chris White, 2010. Anthony Dixon in 09. J Rock Norwood, 2005. And JJ Johnson in 98. So stayed very well represented, represented on that list. And uh, yeah, just another great night for Mississippi State. It's interesting how that all works for us. You know, it's like there are so many things that are going on right now that is kind of changing the landscape of uh, college football in Mississippi. Mississippi State wins the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss terminates Matt Luke rather unexpectedly. I think, you know, one of the things we talked about on the show that I had heard all along, and then when Keith Carter comes in, they kind of reverse course and give him the – the vote of the vote of confidence, and then a lot of chatter behind the scenes that uh, you know some of the powers that be were not happy with how things went in the Egg Bowl. Not the score, not the fact they lost the ball game, but uh, you know some of the actions. You know Elijah Moore. I think that's a, I think that's a bigger factor some people are realizing. But also too, it's just a trajectory of the program. You go from six to six, five and seven, four and eight, and yes, you may have found a couple things offensively. But listen, Ole Miss is not a good football team. And uh, that's one thing that I've said for, for recent weeks. Yes, they have found some some explosive players on offense, but they are far from a good football team. And people say, well, you know, and I know there's those self-loathing Mississippi State fans that simply cannot wait to say, we only won by the one point. We got lucky. No, we didn't get lucky. Okay, we didn't get lucky. The game of football has rules. The game of football has protocols. Ole Miss didn't make the plays. Mississippi State did. They broke a rule. As a result of breaking that rule, there was an infraction assessed. The guy missed the extra point. You want to win, you got to make the extra point. You want to win, you don't shoot yourself in the foot. You don't hurt your team by being selfish. That's all part of the game. I get a little tired of having to apologize and explain away our successes. Even though we haven't had very many this year, we're still able to salvage something out of the season. We get the golden egg, and now we're going bowling again. There were many times this year... Many of us didn't know that either of those things were a possibility. But yet, here we are. The Golden Egg remains in Starkville, back-to-back. And now we prepare for a 10th straight bowl game. But when you look at what's happened at Ole Miss this week, you know, Matt Luke is terminated, and then on uh, Monday, Ole Miss had six decommitments from their class. Six. That is a very significant number. Now, some of those guys may... Uh, eventually elect to recommit once they hire a coach. But 
I don't think people fully appreciate the uh, you know the roster attrition that's going along with this thing. There's been some players that have entered the transfer portal. And so I, this is why I think it's so important for Mississippi State to simply take care of business. We need to go win the bowl game. We need to make some changes on our football staff. We need to make some changes in some of the things that we do. But we need to do it quietly behind the scenes. We do not need to do anything to steal any headlines from the University of Mississippi right now. We need to let them continue to kind of filter the news cycle uh, with all of their own stuff. You know, they need, we need to have, you know, this decommitment, this guy's transferring, this guy didn't want the job, this guy turned us down, this guy, their media will get all excited and say, hey, we feel really good about this guy. He, he elects to stay home. We need them to dominate the headlines with all the negative news. We can't afford to do anything stupid right now. We've been, kind of been gifted some momentum right here. You've got the egg. You've got postseason. You've got bowl practices. You have the quan. Don't mess it up. When you look around this league, and it's incredible, it is absolutely incredible when you look at you know the coaching change situation in the SEC. As I shared with you guys earlier in the week, you know I, I would much prefer to have the only house in the neighborhood that's for sale. You don't want to be looking for coaches competing against programs that are similarly situated to yours. And that's exactly where we would be right now. Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss, all pretty much pursuing the same candidates. We would be in that same mix. We would be in the same mix. And let's be honest, Arkansas can probably outspend us. You know, Ole Miss, you know, pretty much a comparable job for us that I would boil down to a cultural thing. Where are you more comfortable? You know, if, if, uh, if you like penny loafers and bow ties, uh, you know, that's probably your spot. But my point being is that, you know, that that's going to boil down to, you know, a choice from a candidate, you know, the Missouri job, I don't think is a very good one, but, but it's in the lesser division. It's in the sec East. And so when you begin to kind of dial those things down and say, you know what, it would not be a good year to hire a coach because of a few factors. Number one, it is absolutely a buyer's market because there are a lot of openings that are similarly situated. And so as a result, the agents of the world, I mean, and listen, it's their job. You know, Jimmy Sexton and those guys, it is their job to get the best deal possible for their client. And so that means they're going to play both ends of the street. They're going to play both sides against the middle. They're going to tell, hey, listen, hey, he'd love to come to Arkansas, guys, but Ole Miss is offering this. And then you say, hey, Ole Miss, he'd love to be in Oxford and be the next rebel coach, but Arkansas saying this and Missouri saying this. And, and so it's great for us not to be in the middle of all that because what's going to happen now is number one, that there are not a lot of great candidates out there. I think Mike Norvell might be the best candidate available right now. I think he has the best resume. He's a guy that's won at a G5 level. He's winning big again this year. Good chance he's going to win a conference championship. But he's a guy that's done it over an extended period of time. He's been there a few years now. He's done some big things offensively. That's probably a safe candidate. Outside of him, there's a little warts with everybody. And listen, there's a lot of discussion about some issues of Mike Norville, but Mike Norville is a guy that is a proven coach. So what's going to happen? You know, you know, there are going to be people that are going to overpay. They're going to overreach because of the fact you've got to have a coach. You have to. And because of the fact that it's kind of a shallow pool of candidates and there's a lot of people in similar situations looking for coaches, somebody's going to reach and somebody's going to overpay, and I'm grateful that it's not going to be Mississippi State. Because the last thing you want is to set your program back even farther. I mean, obviously you're making a coaching change because you're trying to change the culture. You're trying to change the direction of your program. And you go out and you get a guy that's a little bit underqualified for your job, and you pay more money than he's worth, and all of a sudden you set yourself back financially and also put yourself in a situation you're not going to win a lot of football games. You know, we talked about that uh, you know, coaching class in two years ago with Jim Moorhead and Chad Morris and, and, uh, and Jeremy Pruitt. 
and some other guys. You know, Dan Mullen, probably the big winner in that group. You know, Florida has had two 10-win seasons. Chad Morris is already gone. There was discussions that Pruitt and Moorhead both at some points during the season were under fire and could possibly lose their job. So it wasn't a great SEC hiring cycle. I don't think this one will be either. But again, I'm glad Mississippi State is sitting this one out. And in the event that we have to make a coaching change next year, and I'm not convinced that we do, because I think Garrett Schrader and, the, and the, that defense next year is going to win some ball games. And I think it'll be greater than 6-6. Six and six. I think with the way the schedule works, with a lot of toss-up games coming to start, we've got a, a real chance to get to 8-4, and four, but we've got to find some pass catchers. We've got to find some offensive skill. Got to make some things happen there. Joe Moore has got to go really earn his money next year. Really got to find a way to put this offense together because I think defensively we're going to be really good. And I think you've got to start quarterback. But if we have to make a change next year, I think it's a much better climate for Mississippi State because some of these guys out here that are a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit green will have another year under their belts. And also, too, Mississippi State might be the only the only house in the neighborhood that's for sale. Then all of a sudden it becomes a seller's market. So that's kind of where things stand right now. And listen, you know, again, just sit back and watch what happens at Ole Miss. Because it looks to me like they came off a little bit flat-footed in this deal. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the discussion with Keith Carter, and I'm sure Keith uh, felt like he had good information or whatever, but uh, you give the vote of confidence, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're, we're firing the guy. And it just, the whole thing seems a little hasty. So either they thought they had somebody lined up or something changed within the university. I am more inclined to believe the latter of those two. I believe that Glenn Boyce and, and that group and the powers to be said, you know what, we, we, we're going to simply have to move along here. And it is what it is. But we can't make the whole world's problems ours. And uh, I have joked with some people over on Facebook. And again, I, there are some people that don't get my sense of humor. And uh, that's one of the burdens in life, I guess. But, uh, you know, I can't tell the jokes and explain them to, you know, at some point I, I need you to do your part. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that, that it's like they're scared of Ole Miss. And I don't, I don't quite understand that. You know, I understand those of you that may be shell-shocked from, uh, you know, the 1950s and 60s. You know, people, people forget from 1947 to 1963, Mississippi State didn't win a single game over Ole Miss in football. We went 0-16-3. Those days have long passed. I had somebody share this with me earlier, and I have to admit I wasn't completely sure of the numbers myself. But I'm going to share them with you. And let me go ahead, full disclosure here, I have not double-checked the numbers. Okay, so if there's one or two off, don't, don't at me, okay? I, I'm not interested in that. But I'm pretty confident these numbers are correct. So if they're not 100%, then um, forgive me. But uh, over the course of the last decade, the last 10 years, Mississippi State leads the series with Ole Miss 6-4. Six, six to four. So six of the last 10 Egg Bowls, Mississippi State has won. We go back 20 years, it's 10-10, and 10, dead even. You go back 30 years, Mississippi State leads 16-14 in the past 30 years. So what are we basing this belief on, this false narrative? Because that's what it is. Say, well, you know, they're going to get us. Okay, well, that's been, that's been their goal every year is to get us. And, you know, some years they do get us. But in 30 years, Mississippi State has had the better of things. These are not the rivals of your parents. These aren't the, the Bulldogs of the 1960s. Or 50s. It's just not the same deal. And so and I broke it down for somebody, and they, they thought I was being smug with them, and maybe I was a little bit, and I didn't mean to be. But Ole Miss went 4-8 and eight this year. 4-8. and eight. This is a team that went 6-6, six and 5-7, six, 4-8, and, seven, four and eight, trending in the wrong direction. Mississippi State has beaten them three of the last four years. The only thing that prevented a four-game sweep was them breaking Nick Fitzgerald's ankle and five turnovers, and we still only lost 31-28. So 
So again, what, what are we afraid of? They go out and sign that, what, number five, number six recruiting class in the country in 2016? Those guys are gone. Look at what they're dealing with now. Look at what the last few years recruiting have been. And if not, let's not forget the fact that a couple of years ago they signed some non-qualifiers trying to prop up the rankings. At some point, you got to go play games with those kids. It's not as simple as, well, you know, the, the, the recruiting rankings don't mean anything. And, and listen, I'm in the industry, and I'll tell you, they don't mean everything, but they mean a lot. They mean a lot. You know, you've heard me say on this show many times, it's not the kids you don't get that get you beat. It's the kids you that you sign that can't play that get you beat. So let's take a look back here. I don't know if you remember this, the 2017 class, Full Mist, ranked 31 in the country, 12th in the SEC. You remember that class? And a lot of the better players on that class have left. <laughs> Go back and do the math yourself. Didi Bowie, he only had two four-stars in the class. Didi Bowie was one. And uh, last I heard, he was uh, plucking chickens or something like that. Another four-star was Breon Dixon. Ended up going to Iowa Western. You know, so he had two four-stars in the class, and neither are there anymore. Josh Clark has transferred. You know, Markel Winters is gone. I mean, you go all the way down the list. Had a couple guys not qualify, you know. And so there's just not much value in this class. And so this, again, this was this was the class, if you recall, that was the penalty class. This is the one that Hugh Freeze said, well, this class was a penalty. And you finished 31st, and then the two players, the, the two is three of the top six highest rated players in the class have already left. Never made an impact. So again, what is it we're scared of? We get a 2018, a class that ranked 32nd in the country. 32nd in the country. And again, some of those players have already gone. Some of those guys, JUCO guys, have already kind of transferred out of the program this year. They've completed their eligibility. They'll be gone. Also had the, you know James Williamson qualify. But you run the numbers here again. They had three, four-stars guy. Miles Battle is one of them. Miles Battle has already entered the transfer portal. You got Matt Corral, and uh, as I mentioned earlier in the week, Matt Corral may have the dubious distinction of being the first player to ever lose five egg bowls. And Elijah Moore of uh, you know Hike Your Leg Up fame. That's your three, four-star guys, and two of them are gone. So you begin to do the math on that. Those two classes combined, you still have two players left on the roster, and there's been discussions about both Matt Corral and Elijah Moore transferring. So you've got a total of two four-stars still on campus are expected to return from those two glasses combined. So again, I ask, what is it that we're scared of? So we get to the 2019 class. Okay, now we're back in the top 25. We're at number 22. And one of the reasons why is because it was a banner year in state. Banner year in state. That's the Jerry Ganeli, Dennis Jackson, Jonathan Mingo class. Ole Miss signed a handful of four-star kids. John Rice Plummy being one of them. You can run on down the list and say, you know what, they kind of figured some things out. Some of these young guys had to play. And one of the things that I'm so sick and tired of hearing about is Ole Miss having all these freshmen. You know what, they think they have two or three more freshmen than the rest of us do. And I know this is a novel concept, and I'm going to explain this to you as best I can. Everybody has more freshmen than any other class. Everybody in the country. Everybody. And it's not close. And do you know why that is? It's because your freshman includes your true freshman and your redshirt freshman. So in many, in many situations, you've pretty much got pretty close to two full classes. So yeah, you're going to be around 50 players. And then when you start adding in the walk-ons and that kind of stuff to jack up your numbers to support your argument of how young you are, yeah. So that's a false narrative. You could make the argument, well, you know what? Some of their better players are the freshmen. That's true. I think Jerry and Ely's got a big future ahead of him. John Rice Plumley's a lot of fun to watch. But you know what? What happens next year when uh, they bring another coach in that doesn't run a spread? Let's say Matt Corral decides to transfer. And so you know what, guys? I gave it a good shot at Ole Miss, but maybe I just need a fresh start somewhere else. 
and maybe that happens. And then you bring in a new offensive coordinator, and he decides, you know what, we don't want to run the spread. We don't need a running quarterback. Well, then who's your quarterback? You going to go go mine the, the grad transfer portal? And so I say all of that to say this, is what evidence is there that Ole Miss is trending in a positive direction? I, I had somebody tell me that Ole Miss is going to pass Mississippi State. They don't even have a football coach. But, yeah, they're going to go hire a guy an upgrade. When, when has that happened? You know, people forget. It wasn't too terribly long ago, I guess. You know, you go get – you run off David Cutcliffe, which was a huge mistake. Huge mistake. And you had every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the country pull their names out of your coaching search to replace David Cutcliffe. And I think some of that's because of the fact that David Cutcliffe was considered a gentleman in college football coaching circles. And a lot of people said, you know what, I think I'll pass. I think I'll pass. If they can run David Cutcliffe off after a you know, year removed from being the SEC coach of the year after really one bad year, I don't know that that's where I want to be. And uh, they had to go hire the defensive line coach from USC. Now you could say, well, Steve, look at Ed Orgeron now. And that's right, look at him now. But he wasn't ready for that job back then. They had to go hire the defensive line coach from USC. Not, not the coordinator. Not the co-head coach, not the associate head coach. They went and hired the defensive line coach. Because, again, Ole Miss people love football recruiting and football in that order. And what did he do? He didn't win any ball games. Well, then they go out and they get Houston Nutt. Houston Nutt, if you remember that situation, everybody's like, you know, they're going to do it right. And Houston had some big years. But listen, let's be honest, and Houston's been great to me. But he was kind of a cast off at Arkansas. He's looking to get out of town. The Arkansas people were so bitter and frustrated with him. They had a fan file an open records request and found all these phone records, if that doesn't sound familiar. And he leaves and goes to Ole Miss and then, uh, you know, puts together you know, a couple of good Cotton Bowl teams, but uh, it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't sustainable in the least. And so that's the thing when I look back at, the, at this Ed Orgeron Houston nut stretch, you know. Um, Ed Orgeron comes in, goes 10 and 25. He won three SEC games in three years. Three. Three. And won one Egg Bowl. And that was in 06. And you remember Adam Carlson had a late field goal opportunity that uh, just faded right. If I remember correctly, it was uh, Marquise Green from Bastrop, Louisiana, that had a couple of big special teams plays because Ole Miss offensively couldn't do anything against that Bulldog defense. But they won in 2006. But 10-25, and 3-21 and 21 in the SEC. Nutt comes in the first two years playing with a lot of Orgeron's talent. Goes to a couple of Cotton Bowls and wins those. A couple of nine and four years. And then the, then the wheels fell off. Ended up having to vacate those, those games. You get into the Hugh Freeze era. You go to the Compass Bowl in 2012 with a 6-6 six and six record. You go to the Music City Bowl. You win that. You lose the Peach Bowl in embarrassing fashion, TCU. You win the Sugar Bowl. Life is great. But it's all tainted. And I don't think anybody at that point would have considered Hugh Freeze an upgrade. But he, you know, he proved to, uh, to coach well beyond uh, his resume. And then you go get Matt Luke. And so I, I look back, you know, the last four coaching hires, you know, I think on paper, the one you look at and say, you know what, this was a good one, was, was Houston Nutt. Everybody else has been a reach. You know, when they when they hired David Cutcliffe, you know, that's when Tennessee was riding high. David Cutcliffe came on over and coached a bowl game, did a great job. Next thing you know, you got Eli Manning coming in, ushering in supposed to be a great year great era of Ole Miss football, people forget this. The Eli years, just just so you know, because I know we've got some younger guys that listen to the show, younger guys and gals that maybe weren't alive then, and you've heard about how grand the Eli Manning era was at Ole Miss. Let me tell you, it wasn't. In 2000, Ole Miss went 7-5. and five. 2001, Ole Miss went 7-4. and four. Didn't make a bowl game. 2002, Ole Miss went 7-6. and six. That included a win in the Independence Bowl. 
So he went 6-6 six and six in a regular season with the future two-time Super Bowl MVP winning quarterback. And then finally in 2003, they break through and go 10-3 and win the Cotton Bowl. That's the Eli Manning era. Much like the Archie Manning era, it wasn't nearly as good as people have told you it was. And so again, you run off David Cutcliffe after one losing season. One. He goes 10-3. and three. The next year he goes 4-7. and seven. The year after Eli. And they run him off. Then they bring in Ed O. And then you say, okay, well, they bring in Houston Nutt. This is a guy that's been to Atlanta a couple times. Done a great job at Arkansas. So of those hires, I mean, of the, the four hires since David Cutcliffe, I think you could say, you know what, most of these guys have been a reach. And you know what, this, this next one will be too. So again, what, what, what is it that we're afraid of? I just I want somebody to explain it to me. I mean, I can't get any of these people in, on social media groups to explain it to me. They just have this irrational fear of Ole Miss. I mean, for no reason whatsoever. What is, what is it we're afraid of? They're not recruiting well. They're having roster attrition. You get players wanting to transfer. They're in the middle of a coaching change, and we've got some state people just sitting around saying, man, they're going to get us. You know, wring your hand somewhere else. Rest your insecurities somewhere else. We've had a challenging year, but despite all the things against us, and, and considering the fact that we were at the end of a talent cycle, let's not forget that. The transition year for us, and we're still able to get the egg back and get the ball. And listen, we, we expected more. I did too. I thought we were at 8-14. I thought that before the Tudor Gate 10 suspensions were announced. I thought we were an 8-4 team, and you know what? We still should have been an 8-4 team because we blew the game against Kansas State, and we blew the game against Tennessee, and that's coaching. You know what? If you have the Tudor Gate 10 against Kansas State, probably win the ball game. But we didn't, so we lost. You know what? We come out loaded for bear against Tennessee. We win the ball game, but we didn't, so we lost. It's Joe Moorhead's job to get those guys ready to play. It's interesting how that works, too. I can come out and say those things, and people say, you know what, Steve's right. But then if I suggest, you know what, maybe it's not time for us to make a coaching change. What? What? We underachieved. We underachieved last year. That's why I think Joe is on the clock next year, and, and he should be. You know, Yeah, he's 2-0 against Ole Miss. Yeah, we've gone to two bowl games. But you know what, that, that used to be good enough. It's not good enough anymore. It's not good enough just to beat Ole Miss and get to a bowl game. You know, my dad and them, they would have traded anything for that. You know what? Just give us the egg and let us get in a bowl game. Let us go to Shreveport or something. Goodness, I mean, we'd be great. We'd feel great about life. The fact that we have, could put a winning season together. And, yeah, we have gotten a little bit spoiled. You know what? That's, I think it's okay for us to want a little bit more. And I'm glad to live in an era where it's not just good enough to beat Ole Miss and go to some you know low-level bowl game. So, yeah, I'm happy that we've had the egg. I'm glad that Joe Moorhead's 2-0, and I'm glad Joe's taken, extended the bowl streak to our 10th straight year. Meanwhile, the folks up the road hadn't been to the bowl game four seasons. But we're scared. Folks up the road hadn't won in a long time without having to, uh, to have a bunch of recruiting entanglements. Let's just say it that way. Let's move on from this. I want to get into some bowl stuff. Get that question a lot. Uh, so Jerry Palm is one of the guys that I respect. You know, there's a lot of people out there that put together their clickbait stuff, you know, for their bowl projections and that sort of stuff. But this, okay, this is right after uh, the bowl, the the playoff rankings came out. Florida made the big jump in the playoff rankings. That really changed things. And so now it looks like rather than having four SEC teams in the New Year's Six or playoff. Right now, it looks like we're going to get three. So, so it changes things a little bit. So I want to run down these things for you because Jerry Palm of CBS, he is probably the guy that I trust the most. Jerry does his homework, okay? And again, he's with the parent company, CBS. And so I, I keep up with him, again, because anybody can make a list. And I, I say that all the time, but it's, but it's, it's true. Anybody can make a list. There is, it, it takes no special skill 
to make a list. You can make a list and go put it out on social media and say, hey, here's my bowl projections. Go take a look, go click it and read it to my Facebook page. And you might even do better than many of the experts because many of the quote experts don't know the, the, the way the, the bowl pairings work within certain conferences. Saw something earlier that somebody said, uh, you know, that the Belk Bowl didn't have to take an SEC team, and that's completely false. If there is an SEC team available, they have to take them due to the contract. There is a tie-in they have to meet if an SEC team is available. So let's get into this. Okay, so wait is the way it looks right now, Oklahoma and Ohio State would play in the Peach Bowl in our first playoff game. That's a one-versus-four matchup, and then I will shoot against Clemson two-versus-three in the Fiesta. And if you don't believe that Boudreaux and Thibodeau will go to Arizona, you are kidding yourself. LSU will travel. LSU's got a good chance to win a national championship. It almost sets up perfectly if you can get LSU and Ohio State and Joe Burrow against Ohio State for all the marbles. Okay, so now, so that's one SEC team expected right now in the Final Four, right now. That's how it projects. So then we get into the New Year Six. As it stands now, the SEC has just two teams in the New Year's Six games. We were thinking perhaps Alabama. Alabama tumbled big time, big time in the rankings. And so as a result, they have dropped significantly, which means that they're, they're going to be probably uh, Citrus. You know, and I know that Citrus is not a big Alabama fan, but at the same time, too, you got to take them when you can get them. Alabama's not a great ball team. They used to be. But if they're not playing for a championship or in the playoffs, they're not real motivated to go. So in the New Year's Six, as it stands now, we would have Georgia versus Baylor in the Sugar. I think that would be a lot of fun to watch that. Wisconsin and Oregon in the Rose, and then Virginia and Florida in the Orange Bowl. Dan Mullen back in a New Year's Six game. And then Memphis versus Utah in the Cotton. I don't know that anybody would go to that game. Uh, but that would be a really cool matchup, I think. I don't think it'd be incredibly well attended, though. So what does that mean for the rest of the SEC? Well, I'll tell you what, let's get into this. So uh, he has Michigan and Kentucky in the Gator Bowl. Michigan and Kentucky. Uh, That's interesting to me. You know, Kentucky last year was in the Florida Citrus Bowl, one of their better teams in many years. The Citrus Bowl, as it stands now, January 1 still, Minnesota versus Alabama. P.J. Fleck versus Nick Saban. I think I'd like to see that. But you give Nick Saban a month to prepare for anybody, he'll make life difficult on you. Outback Bowl right now, as it stands, projected with Penn State versus Auburn. Penn State and Auburn, I think it's a pretty good matchup. That Auburn defense can be a different animal next year. The current Belk Bowl projection... Virginia Tech versus Texas A&M. I like that matchup, too, and I like A&M to win it. But I also like the fact that Mississippi State fans aren't being asked to go to uh, asked to go all the way out to, uh, to Charlotte. So Jerry has Louisville versus Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Now, this is different than what most people had a few days ago, and that was because I think many people expected the SEC to get four into the New Year's Six or the playoff. And so because Alabama kicks down into the Citrus, then that makes everybody else move down a spot. So you'd have Louisville versus Tennessee on December 30th in Nashville. So what does that mean for Mississippi State? Well, that means that we would begin the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State. Texas Bowl in Houston, Texas on December 27th against Oklahoma State. That's where they currently have us. So as it stands now, Jerry Palm, who I believe is one of the definitive experts when it comes to bowl projections based on tonight's or last night's playoff rankings, it has changed a little bit. Because Alabama drops down, everybody else moves down a spot. There was a lot of discussion about Tennessee getting into the Gator. But with Alabama bumping in, that moves everybody else down, including Auburn, including um, Texas A&M and everybody else. Everybody else drops a spot, and Mississippi State is the last team in. So Texas Bowl would likely make sense. We haven't been there. We haven't played Oklahoma State in a while. If you guys remember, we played them in the uh, oh in that classic game when uh, 
when Kendrick Martin and Justin Malone and Tyler Russell all got hurt. And that's when Dak kind of became became Dak. And that was 2013, I guess, beginning of 2013 season. So here we go. Oklahoma State 8-4, and 5-4 and four in the Big 12. They're going to want to throw it around a little bit. I don't know that this is a good matchup for us, to be honest with you. <clears throat> Oklahoma State, down the stretch, hasn't scored nearly as and prolifically as they normally have. But, uh, you know, hey, they're a team that can get out and throw it around a little bit, and uh, we're a team in the secondary that is still pretty young, especially the corner positions. They lose to their losses this year, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and they lose to Oklahoma 34-16, and that, there's no shame in that loss. Oklahoma's a machine right now with Jalen Hurts. They, they take down West Virginia at their place earlier, 2013. They had won four in a row before losing in between Baylor and Oklahoma. And again, no shame in either of those losses. But this is a good Oklahoma State team. It'll be interesting to see what we can do against them offensively because they, they have not necessarily been a very strong defensive team. But they will get out and throw the football around. So that's where Jerry Palm has it as of today. State was expected to be Music City. Now it looks like if Alabama stays outside, of course, things can shake up this weekend. That's the thing. There's like right now it's kind of an either or situation, either Music City or Texas. You never know what's going to happen this weekend in these conference championship games. Things could get shaken up again. But, you know, that's probably the safest destinations now, Nashville or Houston. I don't expect it to be the Belk Bowl. It's one of those things that I was told years ago that you know, the Belk Bowl is kind of the SEC East Bowl and the Texas Bowl kind of the SEC West Bowl. But sometimes geographically you got to send people around. A&M has been to the Texas Bowl, you know, and we haven't. So it's our turn to go. And listen, I, I got no problem going to Houston. Houston's a fine town. Be nice to play in another NFL venue. So if that's the case, we'll go down there and throw it around a little bit and see what happens. But that's how it looks today. I don't know if you have read yet, uh, but I interviewed Chris Lamonis uh, last week, and and uh, you know we had all the drama of football over the weekend, so I didn't get a chance to put it up. Put it up yesterday. Uh, I'm a big Chris Lamonis fan. And I, I don't know that I expected that when we hired him. You know, I wanted to like him. But after spending some time on the road, you know, following Mississippi State baseball, I really learned to like Chris Lamonis, not just as a baseball coach, but as a guy that knows how to manage his players. And I know that's part of the job, but he's not just a guy that's out there at press conferences and that sort of stuff. He's a good down-to-earth guy. He fits us. He really does. And so you can go read that. But I talked to him at length about, you know, offensively, if we feel really good, but we've got some holes to fill. And so the way, it, the way it looks now, you know, left field is still a little bit of a battle. Rowdy Jordan goes to center. Tanner Allen, currently your right fielder. Third base is going to be kind of a platoon situation. Cameron Jones and Landon Jordan and many others over there. Mason Land, figuring it out. Westy at short. Foscue at second. Brandon Pimentel. Josh Hatcher figured it out. One of those guys will play DH, and one of those guys will play first. They'll move it back and forth. Hatcher a little bit better defensively. And so we've got some things to figure out. This is a chance to be a really good baseball team. I'm excited about the baseball team. I'm excited about the future under Chris Lamonis. He tells me, you know, there's no end to the things that we want. But we're beginning to see a real uptick in recruiting because of our ballpark, because people realize we're not just a baseball school by self-definition. We have put some uh, deed and action behind the word. We went out and built the, the, the greatest college baseball stadium in the world. And so now here we are, and as a result, we're, we're signing some great players, and we expect to retain some of them. This is a class that's not top-heavy. We've got some guys, though, like Blaze Jordan, number two player in the country, that uh, probably going to get life-changing money when the draft comes along. So we're still recruiting those players to come join us. My hope is we'll be able to keep some of them. But you kind of know that going in. You know that you're going to sign some guys, and you're going to have to kind of fend off the Major League Baseball draft. And you know what? That's what powerhouse programs do. That's what you have to do. You go sign those kids, and you hope for the best and figure it out. You can't be scared to go chase the big fish because you're afraid to lose into the Major League Baseball ranks. And that's, that's happened to us before. 
They said, well, you know what? At least I know that kid will be here. You know what? That's true, and he's still not going to play. I like Chris's approach. Chris is not scared to get out there and recruit. He's not scared to get out there and tell kids, hey, you know what? It's okay to go sign. You know what? This is life-changing money. We got it. See, but you can go read that over on jeanspage.com right now. And if you're not a member, you very well should be. I want to thank our friends at Campus Bookmart, Stan, Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, who gets more lovely by the day. Go by, see them. They will treat you like family because you are family. It is coming up on Christmas time. I know many of you like to do your online shopping. I am one of those people. I really don't want to go to the shopping mall and stand in line and that sort of stuff. And it's not that I don't enjoy the experience of getting out, but you know, just being around all that anxiety is really not for me. And if you're like me and you prefer to do your online shopping, visit them at campusbookmart.net. And by you being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And I want to make sure you hear me, Mom. Dad and all the kids want new Mississippi State gear this year. They want the new hoodie. They want the new shirts. They want the Egg Bowl shirts. They want the bowl tickets. They want it all. You can find most of that at Campus Bookmark. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's been great, I tell you. And uh, I don't know that I've shared with you guys officially but I have now officially signed the contract for Stark Villains 2, and we hope to have that on the shelves for you uh, in the fall. Matter of fact, I already kind of in between the uh, the book tour now and all the work on Gene's page and beginning to kind of put some things together and reach out to some people and saying, hey, I want to tell your story. And uh, due to the success of Stark Villains, a lot of people are like, you know what? Yeah, I absolutely want to participate in that. So the goal now is is I want to be I really want to be finished with the preliminary writing portion of it uh, this spring. And then we'll work through the edits in the summer and hopefully have a book on the shelves early fall. That's that's the hope anyway. Uh, last year, it, uh, we had a little bit of an elongated situation because my publisher uh, moved and then I wanted to follow the baseball team around. And so things were a little bit different. But Stark Villains 2, already in the mix. And the reviews for Stark Villains 1, I tell you, uh, the, the, the people that I am trying to reach, the people that are important to me are you guys. And so... Everybody that I meet in the literary community have all have been overwhelmingly wonderful about the book, but their opinion is secondary to me, to yours. And I have had so many Mississippi State fans of all ages that have come up and said, Steve, it was so great to relive those stories. And I've had students come up and say, and say you know what, Steve, I never knew any of that. That makes me so proud to think about where we've come as a university. Those are the things that are important to me. You can't put a price tag on that. I mean, yeah, you want to get your name in the paper because it provides publicity for the book. And so, but if you're if you've got Mississippi State fans on your Christmas list, let me encourage you: go to all the great Mississippi bookstores and go buy the book. If they don't have it, tell them to order it for you. Tell them to put it on the shelves. But if you're an out-of-state person and you say, you know what, Steve, I just want to buy online, you can do that at StarkBillingsTheBook.com. And uh, you're worried about getting a signed or personalized copy. There's a place you can put in the notes of how you'd like that signed. And I'm happy to do that. They have me signing books pretty much every day right now because as orders come in, they want to turn them around right away and go ahead and get them in the mail. So you've got plenty of time uh, to get them in for Christmas. But let me encourage you to, with the way these book signings are going, there is some concern. We might actually run out of books before Christmas. And, uh, you know, there's already making plans for a second printing and there's some mistakes that we made in the book that we're having to correct and that sort of stuff. Uh, so I don't think you're going to be able to wait to December 20th to order. So if you've been putting off your order and you've been considering, say, you know what, maybe I need to order that for so-and-so or I need to get an extra book. You need to go ahead and probably do that now, probably in the next 10 days. I would say you need to go ahead and make that order again at starkvillainstobook.com. And, and again, it's in great Mississippi bookstores everywhere. Uh, I was at Main Street Books on Monday, left some signed copies there. Uh, Stribling Pharmacy on Tuesday, left some signed copies there. Pretty much everywhere I go, I sign the stock they have left. So you can go get a, a book that is signed. And uh, if that means something to you, if you don't care about that, you can get one that's unsigned too. But I am such a fan of our independent Mississippi bookstores. And there's so many people out there that um, that need your business. And so... Give the gift of reading, whether you're giving Stark Villains or not. I think that every Mississippi State fan in the world needs a copy of Stark Villains, if not two, and get a copy of Flim Flam too while you're at it. But even if you're not interested in that work, 
especially for younger people, give the gift of reading. There's something special about putting a book in your hands and being able to hold it and, and kind of be transported away from your life and kind of escape for a while. I love reading. And so let me encourage you to do that. There's so many great bookstores around. I don't want to endorse anybody. I'm just telling you, there may be bookstores in your area, you know, the little uh, mom and pop bookstores. Go in there and you'll be amazed at what you find. You're going to find some great people that care about the literary arts. And Mississippi State has been so underrepresented in Mississippi's literary history, and I plan to change that. I joked around with my agent over dinner tonight. I said, I don't know what, how much life you got left in you, uh, but I, you know, I plan to write at least 10 more books. And so I said, I'm hoping that you plan to have a golden retirement rather than just a regular retirement because uh, I've got a lot to say. And there's so much of the Mississippi State story that is still yet to be told, and I want to make sure that we get it out there. And so you guys have been so unbelievably gracious to me. I am forever grateful. And uh, I have, I was so excited about getting Start Villains in your hand. And it's been so incredibly rewarding to meet so many people that love the book. They don't just like the book. They love the book because they enjoy reading about the people they care about and about events they care about. And it almost seems too simple. You got the Mississippi State guy writing about Mississippi State beating Ole Miss and then interviewing guys like John Bond and Rocky Felker and Anthony Dixon or Morgan William, Wes Ray, and people like that, you know, big names in Mississippi State sports and allowing them to kind of talk about their favorite moments in the rivalry. It's been great. So we're going to be back on Friday. And I don't know if we know a whole lot more about the bowl picture Friday. But if we do learn anything, then I'm, I'm going to share that with you. Mike Nemeth is one of the first people that kind of said, you know what, I think this, this Music City talk is a bit premature. It looks like Mike might be right. Mike was beginning to kind of hedge his bet, thinking, you know what? Alabama might take a tumble in this deal because the people are seeing, you know what, without two, they might not be the same team and they're not a great bowl team when they're not playing for something of significance. So good chance that impacts Mississippi State's bowl destination. I know we've got a great alumni base out there in Houston. In any event, we go to Texas Bowl. I know that the Maroon and White will be there. I know that we'll have a great representation there. But no matter where we go, I will be there, and I look forward to seeing you there. If you see me out there, please stop and say hello. I'd love to visit with you. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.